Hey everyone, this podcast is with John Zada, a lifelong journalist. John has worked as a news writer and producer at CBC News and Al Jazeera, and his work has appeared in various publications such as the Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, The Guardian, National Geographic, the BBC, New York Post, and more. He also wrote the book, Veils of Distortion, How the News Media Warps Our Minds. In Veils of Distortion, John explains how and why the news has become broken by depicting our world through a tiny sample of dramatized events that are often far removed from our experiences thus warping our picture of reality. John walks us through how the newsroom works to reveal these distorting veils and offers suggestions on how to mitigate the effects of this infotainment. I wanted to have him on the show because I think in order to sustain the momentum, focus, and energy to create your life on your terms, I think you need to consciously protect your mind from as much distractions, negativity, and noise as you can, aka the news. And once you hear the how the news machine is purposely engineered to grab and keep our attention and the negative consequences on your perceptions reality, you realize how much news you consume should be a very intentional decision. Also, one of the many veils of distortion that John talks about in the book is the fact many news people and journalists are not experts in subject matters that they report on. This can lead to misleading information being shared that can lack the context of the bigger picture, paint a far too simple picture that lacks nuance, or share downright false information. For example, sensationalized headlines about the Toronto real estate market crashing, tenants revolting, or greedy landlords have been pumped out for the last 30 years in Canadian media. We see these headlines and can't help but shake our heads at times. We know how much fear this causes in people and how many people it's kept out of the market, while many investors that we work with who have searched for a deeper understanding of the real estate market have continued to accumulate assets that are providing them with their life on their terms. They're choosing to operate their decisions based on data, not fear, and real life experiences of other investors and rockstar that they meet who have skin in the game and are making their investments work for them. If you want to look beyond the headlines and learn the info that Rockstar investors are basing their investment decisions on, go to our website, rockstarinnercircle.com slash reports. There you will find free special research reports for investors that answer questions like, what makes house prices go up or down? How can Canadian investors find cash flowing properties in today's market? Does paying for college really make sense? Why are so many Canadians working harder than ever, but struggling to get ahead? How should investors protect themselves and their assets? These are common questions for real estate investors, and we answer them all in these free special research reports that you can download and read for free on rockstarinnercircle.com slash reports. Go check them out. They're free. They're simple, easy reads that will give you the context that the news media lacks in this area. And without further ado, John Zada, everyone. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, I'm live with Mr. John Zada, and John wrote this incredible book, Veils of Distortion, uh, How the News Media Warps Our Minds. I saw it, it was on Amazon. It's a bestseller in some of the journalism categories. And I noticed that John is a local here from Toronto, or at least currently living in Toronto. And so I thought it'd be great to have John in, talk about his book. Um, This book, Veils of Distortion, How the News Media Warps Our Minds. The reason that I wanna have John on and why I think this message is important is because it made me realize 
how much the news influences my day-to-day -day life, my psychology, the actual events happening around me, and then how much psychological cognitive biases are involved in news production and that the news really is not what it seems. And I don't mean that from a fake news angle. That's a very, very small part of it where, you know, people are faking news and, and creating manipulation in the news, you know, with malintent. But it's more so just the whole news machine itself and how it's set up and all the biases from journalists and just human psychology and the narratives, like there's, there's so much that goes into it. And the reason I think it's important is because this really does impact your day-to-day -day life, whether you're like a news junkie consuming it all the time, or you're like me and I've made a choice, John, like a few years ago to actively try and distance myself from the news. Mm -hmm. I heard great advice from Tim Ferriss, uh, Tim Ferriss book, which was, if it's important enough, you're gonna hear about it anyways. And the rest is just a distraction. And for me, I, that's, I started out with that mentality because I needed to focus on getting things done, things like real estate investing, uh, a lot of the stuff that we do here. I needed to focus on my personal development stuff and the news was a distraction to me and social media, so I cut a lot of those things out. But um, now I'm glad I cut it out for a whole bunch of other reasons. So John, so give us the quick two minute intro of your background, um, your journalism background and how long you've been doing it, what you've been doing, and then we'll get into all the veils of distortion. Okay, thanks for having me. Um, <clears throat> Essentially, I've been working in uh, the media, like writ large, uh, for a couple of decades. I started off doing documentary work, um, then uh, some travel writing, print, and then online. And then I, and then I got my first job um, in the news business at CBC News on the TV side and the national newsroom. Uh, and then did um, did a stint at Al Jazeera for a bit in Doha and Qatar, um, and then have also worked freelance for a lot of the papers and magazines, kind of doing my own, you know, stories on uh, culture and politics, and just I, I do op eds too. So um, this is Toronto Star, Globe and Mail, the Star, the Globe, um, yeah, exactly those sorts of you know uh, dailies, and and uh, those would be the most sort of familiar publications um, but um, you know where the book draws on on you know pretty much everything but uh, the core experiences that I <clears throat> write about and relate to the reader concern more so primarily the TV news business um, which you know I, I spent 11 years working in the newsroom as a writer and a producer at CBC and um, during that time you know I've worked on a lot of stories um, and uh, really got to learn the really the ins and outs of the business because um, and I discovered along the way that um, you know a lot of people don't really have any idea how news is generally produced who are the decision makers what are the decisions what are the factors that go into choosing what makes a story what doesn't make the cut um, how it's actually produced, like like the actual sort of the, um, the production machine. And so, um, you know, by around the sort of mid-2010s, uh, um, kind of around, you know, around the time things got really kind of heated with Trump and everything, a lot of people were, were coming up to me um, in, you know, just friends and friends of friends of friends and family just sort of asked me, like, what was happening in the news business? Because it, it was becoming way more sensationalized. The nature of the coverage was changing. And um, and it was at that point that I realized that there needed to be 
a book written by an insider to talk about what was actually happening and and I had I had already started to sort of take note of all the of all the different factors at play and then you know given that I'm also a writer I mean I'm going to write I'm going you know any subject is uh is uh is is um you know not off limits basically so I just decided to like write about my own business <laughs> like the business that I worked in the industry yeah and who would know it better so why do you feel like why did you feel it was important to share this message of how the news actually works do, do you think it's negatively impacting people yeah I mean that's a, that's a big question um well there's a few reasons one is that I just noticed uh again among friends among family that um you know, people that I knew put a lot of emphasis on certain news stories and events to the point where it was almost like it was obsessing them kind of thing. And um, uh, and I noticed that, like, for instance, like I would I would talk about traveling to a place. So I would say that I was going to, I don't know, like Greece or something around the time where there was all of those, you know, protests or or maybe even a trip to the Middle East or whatever. And, I, and you get a lot of reaction from people based on what they hear about in the news about these places, right? Or like, um, and often they would sort of think that these countries, because they were in the news or there was an, an event in the news that had, that had um, taken up, you know, a couple days of coverage that a country would be completely consumed by this event and don't go, it's dangerous. And and the reality is, is otherwise. Like I think, I think you know, these events that take place tend to be localized for short duration. And so, I so in a nutshell, I noticed that people were equating reality with what was being covered in the news, as opposed to them relating to their own experiences or somebody else's experiences. And so, um, so I quickly sort of developed the thesis that um, in my own mind that. Uh, people are generally confusing uh, the message with reality, basically, right? That, 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 that they don't equate. The map is not the, you know, the map is not the territory to, to kind of use a, to use a, a you know, well-known expression. So, and because I'm interested in... in Be because the map is human perception. That's fundamentally flawed. Well, the, the, the um, yeah, well, the, it's the, the perception of the, the territory. The, the, the map, the map is a representation, a recreation, a simplified recreation, a caricature of reality. Right? The territory is is what the physical territory, to use the metaphor, is what includes everything in that territory. But a map is only kind of like a diagram, which just shows you a couple of different points or whatever. So, um, so. Perception was one reason I wanted to, to, to write about this and to help people kind of understand that just because any given news day's events may be such and such, it doesn't really necessarily equate with reality. The world, is, the, world the, ter the territory is much more vast, much bigger, much more complex than what is boiled down to, to, to a news day's events kind of thing. And yeah, and... and, and I mean, people have heard this in different ways, but I think, and I think it's it's okay to say it again and to emphasize it. Um, you know, news organizations are 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 in addition to the kind of original um, purpose of informing people and to let's say holding power to account. They're also 
trying to entertain people. They're also trying to get, capture and hold their attention. And so they end up choosing stories, focusing on stories that are dramatic, that um, are negative, that are you know f- uh, fear-inducing, that have some manner of excitement built into them. They don't really kind of... They don't really relish the idea of focusing on something which maybe has a kind of a a neutral or a positive connotation because um, our brains evolved to perceive risk. Um, that that's that that's how we survived and you know you know became sort of the 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 successful dominant race on the planet. We 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 learned to kind of um, you know tune into the dangerous animals, the hostile other tribes, people, the volcanoes, the natural disasters. Like we avoid anything that is really, really dramatic. Uh, we, 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 we are attuned to it. And so the news draws on that, on that function of the human brain to focus on those things. And they may not even do it necessarily Consciously, they just sort of know that, like, this is a great story, or like, this is, you know, this is a really exciting story. And so, um, I think what ends up happening is that that really kind of small bit of whatever happens in the world is filtered in, and everything else is not filtered in. And so, you have this kind of portrayal of the world every day that's dramatic, catastrophic, frightening, fear inducing, and and I think that's part of the reason why people like yourself and others have moved away from consuming news either entirely or in large part because I think on some level we realize that um, we're only getting really uh, we're only getting really the 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 emotionally inducing stuff, emotion inducing stuff, and. We're, we're not really um, we're not really privy to um, a wide variety of things happening in the world that 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 don't fall into that catch net. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't hear about the close to eight billion human stories that were just a regular day. They woke up, they ate their breakfast, they went to work, or they did whatever. If they're in another country, they lived their life. They returned home at night to the family. They ate dinner. They went to bed. You know, like just a normal human existence. Yeah. You do not hear about that. And you define news in your at the very beginning of the book, which is, it's it's in the name, news. Like new. Like things that are new. And then with that implicit negative negativity bias that humans have. And the best way I've heard that described is you only need one threat to die. So we're just naturally attuned to that because that one threat can kill you. Game over. Mm-hmm. But the neutral news, the mm-hmm. regular news, mm-hmm. the positive news, that does not equal death. That equals, you know, a minor increase in your living quality of living or it's a neutral impact. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, in most in nearly all places in the world, like generally nothing really is happening. I mean, people are living their lives. And so, um, um, so yeah, and I, I again, it's it's just, and you know, because uh, it's an it's an industry, it's monetized for a very long time. Um, advertising was, you know, it still is a big part of it. It's there. There is also profit incentive, and um, you know, the news producers are going to do everything possible to um, to to 
to um, depict a very dramatic world because that is their stories. Mm-hmm. Their stories. If and it bleeds, it leads, right? It's, yeah, and 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 also, it's just again like this the this the. It, they're not just issues that are kind of laid out in a very kind of clinical sort of academic way. They're they're rendered into stories with with characters, and protagonists. And you know, if if you watch really closely over time, you'll also see that um, the stories tend to be um, framed in terms of uh, heroes, villains, and victims. And um, which is really kind of a it's it's an archetypal form of storytelling that's been with us um, since time immemorial. And and again, it's this is this also kind of caters to the human mind. We 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 relate to that pattern. I think I think I think all of us who watch, you know, these um, Netflix series, these these sort of streaming series that they they're 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 built on these sort of of on these premises, right? And so. Um, which is the reason why, like it, it's, you know, especially in television, um, news news is because become problematic because it's sort of taken the form of entertainment. And 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 when you have a really big story that can potentially span days, um, it almost it almost feels like a kind of a dramatic serial in a way because you know like we'll sit in we'll, you know you as a journalist you'll sit in the editorial meetings and then and then the first question will be well okay what's the new angle today on this story how can we milk it how can we sort of find the you know keep it going kind of thing because they're building on an audience that had already already had been watching for a few days and so it it's it's become blurred now it's it's much more like with with cable news with like before when news was just something you'd watch in the evening at 6 30 p.m before there was like cnn and everything uh it, you wouldn't have that as much but now it's rolling it's constantly going day after day and it just sort of they, they've used that kind of netflix sort of serial formula to um change the way they do their their uh, their storytelling basically so um i just naturally thought of the submarine story uh in in terms like of a week-long drama that was strung out and every day repackaged in a different way with the latest update and 10 years from now who's going to remember that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well exactly and and i mean this i mean this is this is an example this is one of and i was going to raise this this the this Titanic, you know, submarine trip, which is pure entertainment, by the way. It was great office talk, you know, great small talk. Yes, yes. One, it's one, it's pegged to the story of the Titanic to begin with. So you already have this kind of background drama yeah. and films and the whole thing. But also, I think it, I think it was it, I think part of its um, appe- well, a big part of its appeal is that. Um, it hadn't really happened before. So in a way, it really captured all of our imaginations because what happens when you hear about this accident? You're like, you put yourself in the place of the people down there. What if I was down there? What would it be like? What would it happen? What was what would what would the collapse of the vessel have been like to experience, assuming, you know, it, it, it had not happened so fast that we weren't aware of it? And so I think the media tapped into that kind of sort of that 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 deep imagination that visceral preoccupation with with that emotional preoccupation with the story and so um and i think that's also the reason why you had a lot of these sort of voices saying 
look at how they're focusing on this story and they're not focusing on the migrants, for instance, like, like, like there had been a recent um, capsizing of a migrant boat in the, in the Mediterranean, I, I believe. But, but, um, but the thing is, is that, and this is the thing with news, <clears throat> there, had been a, there had been a lot of news coverage when the migrant stories had really begun to kind of happen again sort of in the mid 2010s and so it, it did ha it did have the same fascination that the sub story did if you go back several years but they'd milked it and and also um, we've become desensitized to it now in the same way that like the syrian civil war was huge news and we showed video every day of like syrian rebels and their battles and everything and then it just suddenly dropped off because we become habituated and this is the thing with news. The minute a story is um, depicted or run a whole bunch of times, whether it's over days or weeks or even months, eventually the public and the news producers will become sort of um, habituated to it. Like it, you almost, the brain almost sort of tunes it out because it becomes background noise in the way that a refrigerator or a fan will become background noise in the, in the, in an environment. And then they're no longer capturing your attention anymore because your brain is no longer attuned to it. So then they switch the stories. They, they, they phase them out when they're no longer, um, they're, when they're no longer new. Right, which is why it's called news. They have to bring in constantly new things. So, um, so the sub story, yeah, the sub story was like was was like pure drama, pure entertainment, tragic, obviously, but at the same for the families and the individuals. But um, but in the grand scheme of things, did it really need to take up that much airtime or coverage? Or um, you know, given that there are other things going on as well. Did we ever used to have higher quality news than we do today? Has it always been entertainment driven, do you think? Or do you think that's become worse over time where it's become an entertainment channel? It's become more profit driven. I think, I think TV, let's use that term because it's, you, one may not watch on television anymore, but television has always been about entertainment because um, unlike print or even, you know, uh, or even radio, but let's say print, you've got images and you've got sound and both are very, very evocative and, um, they don't really kind of appeal to the intellect, let's say as, as reading words might, or, you know, so, so there's always been a kind of an entertainment component to, to news. I think that the difference now is because it's not just your television, it's your computer, it's your phone, and with the with with you know with the smartphones, you carry them with you all the time, and you you could be potentially watching for hours on end. You could be watching YouTube, and so I think I think there's a lot more of it now, and I think even even and this is the the sort of the heinous part. I think because back in the day, television didn't really have much competition except for maybe the cinema. Now, news, <clears throat> TV news is competing against the internet. It's competing against non-news content on YouTube, Netflix, all of the other streaming services. So as a result, and I think this is also part of what happened in the, in the sort of the, you know, in the 2010s is that um, news became more sensational, 
more dramatic in an attempt to compete with all these other sources that vie for our attention. And so um, because, you know, the news, the news organizations realized that they were losing, they, they started to lose ad revenue that was sort of being sort of diffuse and disperse into all towards all these other places. But so there, there is a kind of a, there is a business crisis in news. And, and I think the, the, the competition has only made it worse for them. And I think in order to, in order to, in order to kind of place themselves in their own minds on a level playing field with these other forms of, of entertainment, they had to become more purely entertainment themselves. So I think that's a, that's part of the reason why quality has sort of decreased. Like when I used to, so I'm trying to think of an example. So uh, I, I used to watch sort of CNN, let's say in the early, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, like way before I kind of got into this business. And the way it sort of worked was <clears throat> they would just do a series of stories. You know, they, they'd have like, they'd sort of start off domestic and then they'd go to these international stories and they would just kind of like, you know, they would go in these sort of different segments. But the way it is now, if you turn on CNN, it's this kind of almost like, it's this sort of long talk show format where they will obsess about, you know, one or two big stories over the course of a day. They may break off to kind of tell you one or two things, but it's kind of almost become this sort of like, fusion of like you know talk show interview show um and like that's where they've taken it because they feel that that's that's again that's the only way they could compete with um with the other sources of uh so do you think in a whole it's it's just a dying industry it's obviously a, a changing industry like newspapers have uh, had to switch to online They've been forced into it. Mm -hmm. TV shows, uh, TV newsreels are now competing with live streams on mm -hmm. YouTube. Like mm -hmm. everything is obviously evolving, mm -hmm. but is it ultimately dying? You made another point in your book about how everyone with a smartphone is now a citizen journalist, mm -hmm. broadcaster, mm -hmm. broadcasting world events from around the world on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, Twitter has become like a mm -hmm. group think, hive mind, mm -hmm. news, you know, news agency of its own, just with like a billion citizen journalists. Right. Um, Yes, I mean, I you know, I even find myself sometimes um, rather going, rather than going to like a, a proper news site, I'll just like look at my Twitter feed for a couple minutes just to kind of see see what's out there. But um, I think, generally speaking, uh, the industry has been threatened for a, quite a while now, and a lot of smaller publications. Um, even bigger publications have already folded. So, I mean, I would say that for, I don't think news will disappear. I just think that a certain number of them will survive and they'll be sort of the concentrated purveyors of that. So, um, um, so yeah, I mean, I guess it depends who you ask. Like a lot of people have been laid off. A lot of uh, publications have folded. And so in, in a sense, we've already seen, we've already seen um, it play out uh up until now, um, most of the acts that that the, of that sort of um, extinction, let's say that sort of phase, and there may still be more, but I think we're now kind of boiled down to to the main purveyors, and maybe a few more will drop off. I mean, it it it, it depends, and we'll see what AI does to the whole 
to the whole thing as well. So I mean, that's a that's not something I would even attempt to kind of talk about or be able to to predict. I mean, there will be some replacement of writers by by I think I think there may be some room to like write very straight factual news copy. But um, so yeah, so there will be further convulsions. It is it is um, monetarily. Uh, a threatened industry, and the Canadian government sort of props it up, right? They uh, they they help support news organizations, which is kind of which is another whole area of debate in terms of whether they should be doing that or not, and whether that makes Canadian news organizations beholden to the government or to not like criticize. Ottawa and all that kind of thing. That's a whole kind of conversation that's going. Yeah, on. it seems but. like an obvious <clears throat> use case for propaganda, and that's not a conspiracy. It just seems obvious, and that's yeah. I mean, done. I mean, I, I yeah, and I, I would argue that I would argue that w when you are in a newsroom, like you don't actually, there aren't really those sorts of considerations happening at the newsroom level. Like I don't think there's people who are like I don't think the producers are saying to themselves, "Well, we can't really." They are still they are still critical of the government. I think it's just. Um, I don't know, maybe at the much, much higher managerial levels where there is that kind of more of an interface. Yeah, ideologies influencing what goes out. Um, so let's go through some of the veils of distortion to, to, to go through the inner workings. I've written some of them down. The, you have the negativity, negativity bias, which influences what you know people are aiming at mm -hmm. in the first place. Then you have just the selection bias uh, of its own because whatever is selected is then being held up and heralded to the public as this is the most important news. This is what's taking priority in the world today or your local community. You know, this is the most um, impactful event that's being shown to you. Mm -hmm. So that already is like, boom, you're getting this one small snapshot of reality put in front of you. So, th so that's one of them there. Um, what about local news now turning to uh, global news. You know, I'm hearing about, I, I sit in my doctor's office okay. and that's the only place where I'll see CP24. And it's like, the last time it was like bus crash in Bangladesh, 14 people dead. Mm -hmm. It's like a horrible, tragic mm -hmm. event across the world. And now, oh, I've got a negative feeling. Like, oh, that sucks. That's a terrible tragedy. Man, it had no impact on, on my life. Like I, a hundred years ago, never would have heard about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, those things add up, all those little negative gut punches throughout the day. Right. So, so what, what's your thought about that? Like, are we just not wired to handle this stuff? Well, I think it's a question of relevance, right? I mean, I mean, um, the news sort of does 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 um, two different things where it comes to uh, maybe maybe providing us with things that we don't really need to know. They'll go out to they'll go out into the world really in a, in a geographically distant way, like. Um, I, I remember seeing on a ticker somewhere, it might have been CP24 or something um, in the Tor you know in the Toronto subway <clears throat> about like a guy who crashed his motorcycle, like a Canadian who crashed his motorcycle in Jamaica. And I'm kind of like wondering, okay, why are you telling me about this? Or again, you know, the, the, the buses falling off the mountains in Nepal or in Peru or whatever. And again, yes, like um, tragic, but like, but really, what is it? How do we how do we use like where can we use that information? You know, on a to, data to benefit on a data, our lives. Yeah, and it's just again, it's that it's it's drawing on the whole submarine experience, like you know, oh imagining my, it happening. Yeah, yeah, because the minute you the minute you hear about a story like that, it, 
you begin to kind of envision it in a way, right? And then you kind of go into like a like a little mini trance state, and it's it's their way of cap. And then maybe you want to read more about it or whatever. And and so <clears throat> there's that sort of irrelevance. And then there's a different kind of an, an irrelevance where um, because we used to have more local media, and they've a lot of it is folded. Um, it's part of the reason, but also like the news tends to also draw on like court cases happening in places, cases of assault that may be just sort of like interpersonal conflicts or whatever. Um, you know, there was a bus crash recently. I don't remember where it, it happened, but it was sort of similar to the one that happened to that hockey team a couple of years ago. The humble ago. Broncos. Yeah, there, there was a sort of a, a similar type of accident that had happened recently. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember. No, I, I, I saw that one, yeah. And so they've taken that, the, 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 the you know, the, the, the Broncos crash became kind of a template and like they ran with that story for a week or I mean at least a week like but kind of wall to wall round the clock and so um, and again like not to say that it's not something to be written about or reported on or whatever it's just it becomes a question of how much how much focus are they giving it at the expense of other things. I still think about that, and I just realized that now because the example is in your book. But I was driving the other day in some back roads. Um, I went to a cottage this weekend for Canada Day, and was driving on some back roads. And you know how it's all grid, like it's the, all those side roads are like grids, right? Right. And going up to the grid now, all I imagine is some big transport trucking on through. The guy fell asleep at the wheel, and then I'm toast. Like I think about that at every country crossroad now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was already being careful careful of crossing those crossroads right. and paying attention to stop signs and if people are stopping. But now there's this like underlying anxiety about it. And I just remember that story being like shoved down. Yeah. To your point, shoved down like your throat and you're just hearing about it for like a month straight. Yeah. And it was everywhere. I was on vacation on a road trip after graduating university in Nova Scotia when that happened. And, uh, that's all I heard about the whole week. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. horrible. Mm -hmm. And again, like th there's, there's the sort of, there's the human tragedy component, obviously, which resonates hugely, but I mean, also don't forget too, like this is about hockey or that story was about hockey. And like when it comes to, and we're talking now in the context of Canada and Canadian news, but like we're, we're, we're really kind of about, you know, sharing the Canadian experience. It's like anything to do with Canada uh, is, 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 is embraced and is chosen and makes it through the filter. And so, um, um, in a way, it was, it was, again, that sort of perfect story where you had this kind of small community and all these people and this, this, this tragic incident. But then it was about hockey and like the hockey element played the community. It played huge into it. And so it, it was just kind of almost like this sort of this coming together kumbaya moment kind of thing. And and they just they just ran, they just completely ran with it. This and goes to your point about narratives and the mm -hmm. hijacking of narratives. Mm -hmm. And, and you do mention in your book how now the bus driver that he was the villain of that story who killed this whole right. lot. And right. look, he was, but like the guy didn't do it intentionally. It was an accident. Dumb. Yes. Negligent. Yes. All these things. Yes. But, um, yeah, it's just it, that not that narrative, right? Where everyone's outraged at the driver and it just, it sells. We, like we watch it, we talk about it at the office, like like yeah, it's the latest yeah, TV yeah, show. Yeah, it becomes a story. It becomes it becomes entertainment, and then unfortunately for you know for for the driver, like how how is he able to get, 
you know, a, f- a fair trial or like, like when, when people are so emotionally involved in it and when, um, you know, opinions kind of run so heated, it actually affects what happens in, in real life. So, um, so yeah, th- again, th- that's just another perfect example of, 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 of a story that would be, um, quickly and, and enthusiastically embraced. But again, like if you're sitting in a news meeting, it'll be like, does a story have images? Does it have sound? Um, who can we get to talk about the story? How far away is it? How, or how much context does a story have? If a story has too much context, like if something ha- suddenly happens in a, in a certain part of the world, um, like the, like a conflict has been raging for let's say five years that has never really been covered and then it becomes really explosive to the point where it should be reported on like you then have to then like explain to the audience everything that had happened prior to that and so like these are all decisions that are made in terms of what makes the cut and what doesn't make the cut kind of thing and is it Canadian is it not Canadian um, um, and uh, yeah, and, and this happens on a daily basis. Like you go in every day, and that's the meeting. These are, and and you have multiple meetings over the course of the day because what may be relevant in the morning is no not as kind of uh, there may be other things happening in the afternoon. Yeah. So one thing on the context, you mentioned like a great white shark attack happens in Australia. Guy gets his head bit off. To, no context around how rare that is is given. Mm-hmm. And everyone has just this deep underlying fear of, of ocean water. So you mentioned that like the shark attack happened because the guy was on a surfboard and the bottom of surfboards attract sharks because it looks more like an animal. Right. It happened in deep, deep, deep water where right. only big wave surfers were. Right. Um, the odds of getting uh, killed by a shark or even attacked by a shark were lower mm-hmm. than getting hit by lightning mm-hmm. or being killed by an angry cow. Mm-hmm. There's none of that context. Right. But yet anytime we're in Florida, five feet in the water, we're right. like, ah, you know, right. can the sharks get up here? Right. Right. right? And it, they, it impacts how we live our daily lives. Right. And yes, and so they will not, the news will not really, hard news doesn't really want to give you context. Not because they're evil or they're manipulative in a, in a kind of a, in a diabolical way, but the thing is, is that the more context you give to something, the more you sort of, um, you know, link a story to all the different reasons why it happened as opposed to one cause or who's at fault or the minute you kind of paint uh, an issue in sort of all of its complexity in addition to it taking a very long time to do that and taking time and space and everything you're also making it less frightening because because by by providing context you're you're no longer just zeroing in on the event or the act which itself may be fear inducing you're kind of talking about when do these things happen under what circumstances how often uh why did they happen and so when you give that context to people um the the story is defanged so again with the shark with the shark story it's it's uh we don't really as news consumers we don't really focus on um you know, what's the likelihood or where do these things happen or who do they happen to or in what parts of the ocean? It's just more like a shark attack happened. There was maybe another one not that long ago. And when will the next one? Be? Like We just sort of focus on the dramatic elements. We don't really kind of we don't really realize, um, you know, that, you know, for every 
for every attack that takes place on any given day, there's like 6 million or 20 million people swimming in the sea across the globe. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, 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 it's like these are lottery, lottery type odds kind of thing. And just also too, like the world's kind of like a, like things happen. You know what I mean? Like the world is people, there are car accidents every day. People get sick. Like, like, like it's, it's not a, it's not this sort of like hermetically sealed safe world until a news event happens that makes it dangerous like um and which is also part of the context but but again like the mach the machine is not designed to factor that into its storytelling and so therefore you get this kind of impression that there are all these lurking threats and that you have to kind of like really really kind of watch out for them so you mentioned for the two years of covid coverage it was always referred to as the deadly coronavirus and so there's all these little biases that are put into into language and stuff and it's always the deadly coronavirus the deadly but then you talk about how uh, when you're out driving your car you know it's not the deadly traffic even though there's car accidents all the time it's mm -hmm. one of the highest uh instances where humans die is is in car accidents but it's right. never the deadly car traffic right right and again that speaks to that's just again speaks to just the basic mechanics of language right like and so in addition to a story um, being focused on, I mean, it's also like, how is it, how is it written? You know, like what are the words that are used? And so, um, to make a story more dramatic, uh, you would use more dramatic language. Like I was often told by producers that I was working with that, you know, like, can you rewrite this? Can you, can you jazz the story up is the, is the expression and meaning that like, you know, it's not grabbing enough kind of thing right and so um um so yeah so there's a lot of weight also placed on um um kind of you know using using words and expressions i mean i mean the most basic example of that is just headlines right like headlines have always tended to be these sort of really attention grabbing devices that are like obviously very economical on words and sort of big on print and big on size and big on sort of like almost like they're almost they're meant to be sort of explosive or whatever and so um it's like the ad to read the article it, it's copywriting it's marketing speed yeah it's marketing essentially it's marketing so um um it's that one chance to kind of grab a passerby essentially right and and, and you know on rolling news you get that you get that in terms of like at the top of the hour they'll the, you'll you'll get headlines right you'll get headlines with actual like banners in the you know on the screen and everything and like and that's the reason why they also use the breaking news banner so much mm -hmm. on everything now like it's like um because it's red <clears throat> red sort of screams danger and blood and you know beware like a stop sign. Yeah, humans are attuned to red. The red car, the, the red dress. And, um, and you know, anytime there's any sort of change in, <clears throat> in kind of like the story equilibrium of the day, it's like breaking news kind of thing, right? And so... Uh, um, you so also you, mentioned the ticker symbols, like CP24, you know, 75% mm -hmm. of the screen is tickers, mm -hmm. stock tickers, mm -hmm. stocks crashing, mm -hmm. stocks going up, mm -hmm. uh, teams losing, teams winning, right. just all these things that keep you engaged. There's 19 different things to look at. And you also related the red and also just the different techniques that these news people use to social media companies, like the red notification that comes up on Facebook or when you get a like on Instagram. It's that red that grips you. Oh, mm -hmm. got a notification. Yeah. Gotta go check. Absolutely. Absolutely.
I didn't realize how much of the news from reading your book is literally just marketing. It's copywriting. Like all the headlines and stuff that you're using. I'm like, this is copywriting 101. I'm like, some of these headlines are good. I might take some of these. Right. Repurpose them. Right. It's designed to, to, to again, to like grab our attention and to hold it. And, um, and, um, it's, it's like, it's like any, it's like any form of, it's like most forms of television basically, right? Like, um, dramatic storytelling. Yeah. Um, to the point on context though, I mean, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to sort of drive this home a bit. And, and that is, um, another, um, very problematic aspect of the news is that, um, it tends to really focus whenever they look at an issue, they'll look at two issues. Like they'll, the kind of weaving the conflict between dualities is a big thing. So er, like many, many things are framed as these sort of like adversarial conflict driven questions where you have really, you know, like I talked about the villain, the victim and the hero, like it, it, although it may not be exactly that in every case, you will always have, you will tend to have like two contending views on something. So it's either this or it's either that. And um, um, that kind of has run through, you know, news storytelling for, 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 for decades, for as long as we can remember. And unfortunately, because of that, it then kind of sort of dumbs us down into thinking that there are only two perspectives to any situation. There's no nuance. But there are probably, the, I mean, in, I think in most cases, there are probably many, m many takes on a, on a, on a question or, or, or a situation. And so what that does is that it promotes polarization, right? And I mean, we're in a kind of, we're in a, we're in a polarized period right now, more so than in, probably in a very long time, maybe since the early 70s or the late 60s. But, and I mean, I, this could also, this is, this is, you, you can point to social media and to Twitter and things like this and to, and to information silos, yes, but the media has been also pr promoting polarized takes on everything for decades because they like to kind of pit the, the conflict between two sides is the most is the simplest, the easiest to frame um, and the easiest to understand uh, way to you know, to, to, to portray an issue, you know what I mean? And so, um, that's like, that's deeply problematic. Creates that us versus them tribalism, you know, whichever one of those frames that you agree with now, the other person's the villain. Yeah. And black and, and black and white thinking, right? Like it's, it's the world, the world is not, is not that simple. Can you talk to us about uh, journalism? the term journalism that you use, so churning, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what it's just like in those newsrooms and the, the constant need for new news and the, the short deadlines and the chaos behind the scenes. Can right, you speak to that? Right, right. So the term is not my own. I didn't coin it. It's been sort of in use for, for a few decades. <clears throat> but it's essentially, it's essentially uh, in reference to churning out you know, news quickly and rapidly. And, and you know, um, one of its sort of bases is that when there were only a few news organizations that the entire country or the United States or, you know, uh, people would tune into in any given country, there was a competition between 
who could run a story first, because if you were the first to run the story, then people would kind of the logic was that they would they would they would go to you sort of thing and obviously now with there are there are with the internet there are a lot more sources and you know twitter in a way kind of being the fastest of them all has kind of rendered that idea sort of sort of null and void but nonetheless there there is this sort of there is this um in the work culture of news especially in a television newsroom um but I mean, you even get it in the print now, like because they've got online and you could go, you, you could post something quickly on the Internet. But there's this kind of race to kind of like go to go to air with the story with breaking news as quickly as possible. Even if it's not breaking, it's like there's this constant rush. And um, they're really the issue with it is that there isn't really much time to understand what is happening in a story you know what i mean like it's it's uh like like i if you were to come in to 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 work at a tv news station you get assigned a few stories and then you're just like and then you're like they tell you it's going to run at the 10 a.m hour or at the 11 you may have an hour you may have 45 minutes and you have to like basically you're sitting inside of this studio in this building far away from wherever the story is taking place um, you have maybe some wire service copy like Reuters or Associated Press. More often, you're just going to do some Google searches on the Internet and see what other news organizations have written about it. And you're going to take that copy and rewrite it and put it in and cut some pictures. And like it's just it's kind of there isn't really much thought that goes into it. It just is you just it's putting stuff out as quickly as possible. Um, and then, you know, okay, if there's something wrong with the story, if the information is off, if the numbers are wrong, if, um, you know, like we can fix it later kind of thing. And then you do, and you spend a lot of time, like a lot of, I mean, the amount of errors that take place is, 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 is pretty astounding. Not to mention, I mean, that's just on a micro granular level, but, um, um, uh, but working so fast really prevents the team and the organization as a whole from really taking the time to kind of question or consider what's a good story, what's not a good story, what's in the public benefit, what isn't, are we really kind of sensationalizing this too much, are we giving it, are we, you know, like, like there aren't, there is no time to consider what you're actually doing when you're moving so quickly. It's like, imagine, I mean, many of us don't work that fast with the things that we do. And if we did, we'd kind of, we'd, we'd, we'd be doing harm to the work we'd be doing. So, um, I think, I think the, the, the mentality of that sort of newsroom culture is just sort of, it's, it's way too, it's, it's about moving way too quickly when they don't really need to that much anymore, because I don't, I just, I don't, I don't see the necessity of it. You think like the free market would select for a news organization that's putting out high quality information that they're taking their time on to get the full scope of the picture and they're they're not just playing broken telephone by copying other news stories. You can see how a story can easily get, um, you know, false over time, just being copied, 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 and all of a sudden the facts are completely wrong. Like you just think that the free market would select for those higher quality news organizations or or journalists, and I'm sure you know, it, it is in some small part, but it does seem to be completely driven by the, the short-term clicks 
and the short-term views mm-hmm. and the sensationalization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and also because there's so much public feedback by way of social media now, news organizations do get a reputation. Like people, people do call them out when they write a headline kind of wrong or they, um, you know, or, or they treat, they look at a certain angle in one story over another kind of thing. But again, like it's not that like a lot, like producers are not business people. And often there are so many layers of bosses that it's, it's, they, they kind of just sort of do what they're told. And there is this kind of almost sort of trickle down of orders coming from up high from like as a writer and even as a producer, like, um, I would often hear of like higher ups that I didn't even like, I didn't even know who they were kind of making calls and making decisions on things. And sometimes days or weeks in advance when they knew a story was going to kind of happen. So, um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of, there's like too many, too many chefs and they're not, they're not necessarily all like business savvy in a kind of longer term beneficial sort of way. It's just sort of all about, the numbers that day, that week, what can we do? And they're not, they're, they don't think ahead. They don't think big picture like that. They're, um, and then when you try to point, you know, and we, we, anyone who's worked in a newsroom has had those moments where like you, you try and point that out, but, um, um, you know, you'll bring your concern or whatever. And sometimes it'll, they'll be listened to. Like, I don't want, I don't want to kind of like bash the whole, like part of the reason I wrote the book was to, also for my colleagues and to help maybe get them thinking about things and to fix things like so so and there are there are good people and there are like i mean most of the people i've worked with are are really like you know they want to do a good job and they do sometimes listen to what you say or whatever but i mean but again it's just because of that frenetic environment and because um just of fear too, like of like nobody really wants to be the one to rock the boat or to speak up or whatever. Like things are just kind of like, you know, um, ignored or just like lip service. Yeah, yeah, or we'll do that, or and then they don't, and that kind of thing. So it's just, it's just the culture. <laughs> it's yeah. the culture. I imagine as a new journalist, you know, someone right out of school, excited to get in somewhere, gets hired by an organization like CBC or Al Jazeera, and, and you're just plugged into the machine, the news machine, as you refer to it. And it's like, do what you're told and, you know, don't, yeah, don't stick up too fat, you know, too high. Cause that's the blade of grass that gets mowed down, you know, like just do what you're told. You're, you're, you're stuck in the news machine that operates this way. It's like the environment you're in. Yeah. And, and like any organization, there's going to be groupthink, which is kind of a normal human phenomenon among large sort of, you know, in order, in order to, to some extent, in order to um, achieve things into proper, to function properly, there has to be a certain degree of cohesion. And I think that's part of like evolutionarily speaking, I think something like groupthink um, works towards that end is to, is, is to kind of, and when you're working in that kind of really fast paced environment, it's kind of like almost being in the military. Like you don't want to be that, that wrench in the cog that kind of slows things down. Like, so, um, so, but at the same time they have to, you know, these, these, these organizations have to consider that, um, there are consequences to kind of doing things in the way that they continue to do. You also mentioned biases or veils of distortion that can happen from the panicked attitude 
that everybody in the newsroom is working under those tight, high pressure deadlines to get things done. So one, you might not be putting out the most high quality information because you're in such a short deadline. It's impossible. You're lacking the context, all these things, but then you're just overworked, you're overstressed, you're tired, and you have your own negativity bias. Like you're not using your prefrontal cortex when you're in that state, you're, you're going limbic. And so you're, you could be putting out a negative bias on your own from that. Mm-hmm. That's something you also talked about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that um, when you're in those sort of um, pressure cooker situations, which I've been many times, um, you're just not you're just not functioning properly. Like you're not as productive. Um, you you become more emotional. Like I can't tell you how often you know during a crunch, like I've seen my other colleagues like pick up telephones and throw them against the wall and like, like that, like, you know, like, you know, become almost demonic, like possessed by other voices. Like, like I've, you know, I've, and, and there's a, there, there, you know, like people, like I've had friends, colleagues who've had to take leaves because the pressure was too much, like, you know, like on, on a mental health level, like we often talk about, consumers us out in the world being subjected you know to the news and what it does to us and the kind of the ripple effect on society and the fear and everything but i mean you know think of think of the people who work at ground zero you know what i mean whose jobs it is is to create <clears throat> is to create these stories and um you know or to speak them even like as a as an as a host or a presenter, you know, like it's kind of coming through you every single day sort of thing. And, and, um, and so, yeah. And, and, and I began to kind of, I, I remember at, at a certain point, well, pretty early on, I began to feel like, oh, okay, man, I'm kind of going into the, I'm going into the, into the, into the news factory. I'm going into the zone. I'm kind of like, you do feel, you do feel quite heavily exposed to, um, you know, and again, like you have to kind of almost counterbalance that. Like the, like I'm not, again, I'm not knocking all journalism. Like I think there is, it is a service that one is doing and there is, there is a need at times for maybe a lot of times to kind of deal with subjects that are difficult or, um, you know, uh, but I, I, again, I think just because of the nature of the whole operation, it, it does take a toll on, on, on the news worker and, um, and I think that ends up just sort of that ends up kind of cycling back into the product mm-hmm. because because, you know, if you're not happy, if you kind of can't stand the work anymore, if, if you're finding that it's mindless and you have no you have no freedom to kind of shape it in a way that would make it better, like, you know, you're just going to become cynical and you're just you're going to just produce anything. So. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you feel like COVID was a seminal moment in people kind of distancing themselves from the news because of just the constant barrage of, of this virus is going to kill you. Mm-hmm. Here's the amount of new cases every day, yeah. which I don't think our brains can, can properly process because like to your point about lacking context, every day you would have the death count, let's say in Ontario, 200 people died today of COVID, 200 people. Like I, that's, that's everybody I know on a first name basis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Dunbar's law, mm-hmm. everyone, you know, on the, mm-hmm. about 200 people, mm-hmm. like, that's like everyone I know dying. Mm-hmm. Well, but that's lacking. What's Ontario's total population, 14 million. What's 200 divided by 14 million. 
you know, what's what about the total case counts for the year? Well, let's look at that divided by 14 million. Oh, it's it's zero point you know zero two or whatever it is. Like, oh, okay, that gives me a lot less fear, but that's never talked about. But um, it was just a constant news cycle where I think most people got sick of it and had to turn it off. It seemed like that was a big turning point. Do you feel the same way? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 was, I was working in the newsroom at CBC when, um, when the crisis began. And I kind of, I was, I was there for the first full year of it or so. And, um, and yes, absolutely. I think, I think um, again, as that kind of perfect story, it was embraced and, and, you know, run with. And I mean, I remember even going on to the website on, on CBC and like the .ca and going through the kind of the news homepage. And it was at one point, it was like all COVID mm -hmm. from every conceivable angle. And yes, that definitely did turn people off. Um, it was too much. And again, with going to your point about the numbers, the numbers were were were, were unbelievably uncontextualized. And I mean, th there were certain questions that were not even ever really being asked, like what constitutes a case? Like for any for any for for you know most sort of illnesses, being symptomatic would sort of constitute a case. But like when they counted the cases, like were 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 should the asymptomatic have been count, counted in those, um, you know, in terms of like admissions to hospital, like, was it, was it, um, or, or the hospital cases where was it like people who caught it in the hospital or was it people who'd kind of gone in before who'd had it before? Like, there, like you could break down the data in so many different ways that to actually make it sort of understandable or, you know, again, giving it the context, but what they just tended to do was they would go to province by province and then sort of give you kind of like a, a big round number of, you know, cases and deaths and the whole thing. But, um, and so and it, it whipped up a certain reality or per perception of reality in the, in the Canadian public, yeah. which then influenced a ton of really important political and economic decisions mm -hmm. that were entirely mm -hmm. made based on polls mm -hmm. of people's emotional response, right. but they're being fed this diet of fear and purely that without the context. And that, that's when I was like, oh, this has a yeah. real impact on yeah. the world, how I'm living in my life. Yeah. Um, it was a runaway train moment. I mean, I mean, in a sense, in a sense, that was what that's what the machine, that's what the news production machine excels at is sort of is sort of getting is kind of grabbing as much of these things as possible and then churning out, um, you know, as much different angles on them for as for as many days or weeks as possible. In a way, it was sort of the the ultimate event because it was this evolving thing that it, like it was a story that was not going to go away because it takes a long time for, you know, yeah, like this, the, the whole cycle of beginning to end is like is, is many months and years. And then there was the whole though, it was gold, the whole vaccine sort of phase. And and so um, and yeah. And then by the time that I had left and even after the, after I had left, they were they were still devoting the news, most of the news broadcast date by going to each province in the country and listening to the daily report of like the public health official who were basically sort of saying the same thing over and over and over again every single day, right? Like these are the numbers, wash your hands. Wear a mask, do that. Yeah, so, so, um, 
So yeah, I think I think I think it was definitely a big turning point. I mean, again, to be fair, like being there at the beginning when we didn't really know what was going on, it was like I think all of us were afraid. Those first two weeks were terrifying. We didn't know what it meant. We didn't know what would happen. Um, and you know, like. So, uh, in a sense, everyone who was working in the newsroom, like they were like all of the rest of us at that moment, they were, they were, they were, you know, freaking out. Well, yeah. And they were, they were, you know, they wanted to kind of, you know, cover the, cover the subject. Do it justice. Appropriately. Yeah. It could have been a huge public threat. And, and all that. And I think, but I think, I think it just sort of, I think it sort of, um, took on its own life Mm -hmm. and, um, and also don't, I mean, also don't forget to like. I shouldn't even say don't forget. I mean, maybe one doesn't even consider this like it becomes, you know, like relatively inexpensive news production operation when you're just doing that. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to like send report. Like if you're doing a normal news day, that's not that wasn't like COVID emergency. You're you've got all these different expenses. You're sending reporters to different places. You've got all this, like you've, you, you're, you're, you're paying for all of that sort of infrastructure and all of the operations of a normal news day, both on the domestic. But if you're just like, kind of like doing all day of pressers from different provinces and they're just like, now we're now going live to, you know, Quebec city. And then you're going to like Winnipeg or whatever. And it's like, and they're just running numbers. Like that's like, that's inexpensive. And so there's an incentive. There may be laziness uh, to just sort of keep keep that going because like, you know, you don't you, it, 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 it's a kind of a relaxed news day when you're doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, and the same with weather stories too. like weather stories are like they're cheap to produce as well. And, you know, like it, like it, they don't require as much work because it's like, um, it's like just talking about the weather, right? It's just, it's like, it just kind of rolls off. It rolls off the tongue and everything. So the, I think there was also like, I think, I think as an, as an industry, they got in the habit of doing the kind of, <clears throat> that kind of COVID reporting and stuff. And like, again, like, and I'm talking about sort of the pressers and everything that would take up a big chunk of the day or whatever. So, um, um, because it's just easy. Yeah. So that was another veil. There's so many different little veils or biases that you describe in your mm-hmm. book, but was the, just the pure economics of the news machine, which is kind of scary the way you talk about it. Cause it's like a living, breathing entity of, mm-hmm. but just the economics, like, Hey, it's too expensive to send a reporter to the middle East to report on this one inc- incidence. And also journalism, we got to get this story out and compete with CTV's news. Who's going to report on it. So let's just copy what, um, you know, Al Jazeera reported on it when I do a quick Google search, cause I have 45 minutes. But it's just the economics. Like we can't afford to do our own research on it. So we're just going to co-op somebody else's. Who knows how many biases have been wrapped up into that one. So it's like, what, like what's even real? <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I don't know. I would say that, I would say that all these things, all these things have always existed. Like I, I think that because we have every human being <clears throat> on, the, well, not every human, but like most of us on the planet now can, say or say online or whatever, right? Like, like we're, we have, we have access to so many points of view on things and so many people's experiences on stuff that we're now understanding that, you know, like 
these imperfect processes. But the imperfect processes have always existed. We just didn't really know about them because most of humanity was was not able to publish their own views. So like, um, it's just it's it's just it's an imperfect world. It's an imperfect industry. Humans are flawed, and I think I think part of the backlash now against the news is we've, we're discovering all of these. <clears throat> You know, the news can be called out so easily now in public that whereas in the past, you know, like a, like a television didn't have, you know, letters to the editor kind of thing. Like Twitter is now letters to the editor, right? Like so. Um, yeah. Like, and it goes with anyone. Corrupt yeah, corporations, yeah, corrupt politicians. Yeah. You're right. I think it goes back to that saying technology exposes us. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't change us. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when a lot of people come to me now and they say to me, you know, like they, they'll 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 complain about like, you know, let's say more conservative media or whatever, like, you know, Fox or whatever. And um, which I don't particularly like. And I've I don't ever I've never really watched it because it never like I, I don't their their take on things doesn't really appeal to me. But they'll they'll all they'll only think that places like Fox are the ones who are who are like distorting media and i and i kind of have to tell them i'm like look it's like it's not just it's not just that like it's everybody like it's all of what i'm describing is industry-wide it's a modus operandi it's like it's it's a work culture that that sort of suffuses all corners of the business and yes News service A will lean maybe more left. News, you know, the other news service will lean, you know, a bit more right. And you'll have different stories and different protagonists and villains and victims and all that. They'll be different. But at the end of the day, um, there is kind of a distortion that happens just by virtue of the process, by virtue of the human brain, by virtue of the news culture, and by virtue of our consumption of it and and the significance we assign these stories most of the time. You know what I mean? So like, um, so we have to be careful. Like, it's good that we have, in, in, in a sense, that we have uh, places telling us things that are going on. We just have to be like, we've got to become super savvy at the way we... So let's get into that. So the reason I wanted to have you on is one, to explain all this stuff from your you know, decades of experience inside mm-hmm. the newsroom, how mm-hmm. the news machine actually works, all these implicit biases. But now what can we do? I know you, in your book, you have suggestions for both journalists, consumers. Mm-hmm. So for this, the sake of this podcast, I'm more mm-hmm. so focused on helping people decide what to do now that they know this information. Um, what is your advice to people on how to deal with the news? Um, is it avoiding the news? Is it getting news from reputable sources? If so, what are those sources? Is it to kind of assume you're always being manipulated in some sort of way, maybe not inherently in an evil way, like you've been talking about, but just through all these biases. Um, what is it? What's your advice to people? Okay, well, I, I in the book, I've sort of put, I've chosen about 12 or so suggestions that like um, I recommend, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of them now. Um, so, I mean, I think at a fundamental level, People have to generally, I, I believe, consume less news. Like you have, like, like my recommendation is to like 
is to is to not take in as much. I mean, that seems sort of obvious and self-evident, but we're addicted in a, in, in a way, right? Our screen addictions play into that. So I, I, th I think that like there are a lot of people who describe themselves as news junkies, right? And I, I have friends and family who, who, who count among those numbers. And so, um, and um, I think weaning yourself off um, not just in terms of how much you read and how much you scroll and everything, but just uh, I, th I think I think just one has to limit the amount of time one puts in in a day in terms of your looking. Um, that would be one. Th that would be sort of the fundamental thing. Um, you know, look at a lot of different sources if you can, if like, if you are interested in a story or something like you can also consult different sources, like look at different sources. Um, you know, scanning headlines is sometimes a bit better than reading. Like if you want to cut down, you could also just do kind of a, uh, um, like a brief scan. It's just, again, more of that sort of, um, more of that kind of the habitual day to day, change your habitual day to day in terms of how deeply you go in and what you're kind of looking at, but, but, um, but there's other things you can do too. And that is like, um, you know, um, when you look at a story, especially one that's divisive, uh, and they're, they've become mostly divisive now because again, because of the dualistic framing and because of the hero victim villain thing, um, you know, try and ask yourself, Again, it's difficult because you kind of have to go into that part of your mind, which is the devil's advocate, right? Like often when we're kind of looking, consuming any kind of media, we're in a trance and we're not even aware that we're aware. We're kind of like in it. But if you can sort of take yourself out, whether it's during or even afterwards and just like ask yourself, like how many other perspectives are there to this story beyond just the two that I'm being sold? You know, so true objectivity, objectivity. So contrary to what people believe objectivity is not about telling both sides of the story that's sort of one of its sort of definitions now and it's not even about telling the truth one side versus the, there's this kind of new activist sort of take on journalism where like you know like objectivity we 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 mustn't be objective because because every story has a truth and we have to kind of like tell the story as it is kind of thing and, and, and be biased, but it's not even that. It's like true objectivity is to kind of see as many sides of an issue uh, as possible, because what ends up happening is you don't become dogmatic or ideological or locked in your thinking or fixed in your thinking. You're kind of like a bird up in the sky, kind of overseeing everything. And again, this is not to kind of, this is not to, convince people that they should not have an opinion on something or be straight down the middle where there's a, a, a you know, a, a, a question. Like it's not kind of making you neutral. It's just to be able to kind of see all the different things that are that are influencing uh, a topic or a question or a debate. And by doing that, by 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 being that way and by doing that, you're not you're less susceptible to conditioning or brainwashing or any of the other sort of like processes that happen when you're in a trance and you're being kind of like hit with information that kind of that that maybe um, uh, favors one side over another. You know what I mean? Like, so this is this is about preventing us from being processed, you know, by by any given side. And so um, 
that's that's a that, that's a really 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 and it's difficult it requires practice you have to kind of almost again you have to break yourself out of that trance and try and kind of almost sort of like be aware of your own awareness while you're actually you know in this story um also too another another suggestion that i make is um you know try and try and hedge what you're being told about the world with your own experiences of it i love that you know so like um because often you know and and this isn't this isn't to say that necessarily always our experience will negate what is being you know uh described or told but i'm um, in some cases in some cases it can so um so you can bring that to you can bring that to the table as well and then you know um one more i mean there's there's a whole bunch in the book but one more is to is, is to like avoid avoid the clickbait <laughs> like and we you know we all know what it is like maybe the very best of the clickbait. <laughs> yeah, you know, because you think I shouldn't click this. I know it's like garbage, and then you do, you know? Yeah, it's I mean, tough. But um, but by the thing is, by doing that, you're kind of you're giving the, you're 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 giving you're giving the people who decided on that affirmation in a way. Like you're kind of like. It's it's like it's 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 like anything it's like anything economical like if if the if the consumer doesn't bite yeah you're you're, sending, in, you're, you're incentivizing sending, you're sending a message yeah yeah so um so I think you just you know um, if it doesn't really look like news if it doesn't smell like news if it looks like something gossipy um, like just you know try and avoid it like. Because you're just not doing, you're not doing yourself a favor. You're not doing everyone else a favor. And here's what happens. Like, here's what happens. So a lot of these clickbaity type things, and, and, and some of them are news. They're just framed in a, they're written and framed in a headline sort of clickbaity way. But what will happen is when those stories are clicked a lot, which which is where the kind of term the clickbait comes from, but like when they get a lot of activity, news websites will have like most viewed stories, like on the side, in the sidebar kind of thing, like the most viewed or the most popular or whatever. And, you know, the CBC has them, like the top five, like they'll say like 5,000 readers reading this currently or whatever. What, it, what ends up happening is those stories get elevated to the kind of front of the, like they get highlighted, which then when people go to the website, they see, oh, look, there's like 10,000 people reading this right now. That must mean that it's important. I'll read it too. So there's this kind of like feedback thing going on. And and then also it sends a message to the producers. Oh, this is really popular. This story about the royals, about Prince Harry or whatever. Like it, it got, you know, this story got so much, you know, interaction the other day. Let's like do it again today or let's like, like, so you know what I mean? So it, so it, it ends up sort of feeding back into the system. And so, uh, yeah, you just, you, I think by, by kind of avoiding if possible, the gossip be, you know, framed the gossipy stories, the, the framed stories that are, that are kind of more, you know, he said, she said, um, mm -hmm. you're, you're helping by not consuming that Twitter got me the other day. I originally went on Twitter 
about two years ago when I was going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole because uh, you can get great Bitcoin education on Twitter. Um, and it was very helpful for that. But then I put it away after a while because I noticed I started getting away from the Bitcoin. Mm. It was like following different things, world events, people commenting, arguing. And I'm like, I got to get away from this. Recently went back to it and it got me. Like it hooked me right in and I thought I was going for the education and I was staying for the news. And I was reading about this counter invasion that happened within Russia's military, right? That group that had done like a counter. And I'm reading this and I'm like, and I just realized halfway through, I'm like, damn, they got me. Like they got me. Mm -hmm. And I was so mad at myself, but it was, it was a bit of a reset. And yeah. now this conversation with you is going to be a, a huge reset. Like put it away. Like just for me, I'm, I know I get addicted to the stuff. So it's easier for me, like almost like an alcoholic to not take a drink at all to, you know, as opposed to, you know, have one drink and try to balance, you know, not having any more for me. It's like, man, I just got to stay away from it. So that's my personal approach, but you've got some great advice here. If yeah. you do still want to consume it, which I'm sure one day I will be. Yeah. Well, everybody, I mean, I think different people have their own thresholds and yeah. some of us are more given to going into the rap, going down the rabbit hole than others, you know? So, um, I want to ask you, uh, just before we wrap, I want to wrap mm -hmm. soon here. Mm -hmm. Uh, give me the, the two, three minute take on finding the Sasquatch. What, what has that journey been? And, uh, tell me, tell us about the Sasquatch. Uh, okay. So, um, my so my previous book you're asking about a a, a book that i'd written before this one um i had uh, it's called in the valleys of the noble beyond <clears throat> in search of the sasquatch and uh yeah it was it's sort of a completely different topic but also a topic about human perception i um i traveled out to the coastal communities on the north coast of British Columbia, central coast and the north coast of British Columbia, a lot of indigenous uh, <clears throat> towns to um, look into reports of Sasquatch or what people call Bigfoot or like it's a it's a, a reputed species of wild, hairy humanoids that live in wilderness areas. We know the guy. We know the guy. And. Um, and uh, that, yeah, so I spent three months on the coast in this like really kind of remote, mountainous, wilderness, coastal region known by some people as the Great Bear Rainforest. So it's kind of, it's, if you could sort of imagine this, this sort of almost Lord of the Ringsy, pristine, massive old growth trees, glaciated mountains, humpback whales, grizzly bears, bald eagles. Like it's just kind of almost sort of like this sort of, you know, Shangri-La type of place. And uh, wow. and this story, I sort of uh, written it in the first person with characters and dialogue and kind of the whole sort of story arc thing. It was about um, the attempt to, my attempt personally to, to make sense of um, the phenomenon, why people are seeing them. Uh, what they could be seeing uh, is it real is it not and um, you know and then and you know and then just sort of philosophical questions around this whole obsession by people who are pursuing these creatures like why are they so interested like why are they you know um, so yeah so again very very kind of like very per and which, it, can, which can you give the short summary of your discovery or is that something you got to well yeah no I'll probably leave it because it's sort of it's like it, it, it's um 
there's a lot of there are a lot of kind of crazy moments in it and um and the answer is uh there are there are many an- there's not one answer there are there are, there are many answers interesting yeah and 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 it's kind of good you asked about it because in a sense that book really led me into the news book like it like because i became so interested in human psychology and human perception and i'd educated myself and had read and sourced so much material in the Sasquatch book, it, it actually allowed me to kind of see the processes that were at work in the newsroom and in terms of how the news affects us. Because so in, a, in, in some really weird way, like the books are, the books are sort of inter, intermeshed in, in, in that sense, like in a cause, in the kind of like causation sort of way, like one, one definitely led to the other. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I am a big fan of your work. The book is uh, Veils of Distortion, How the News Media uh, Warps Our Minds by John Zada. You can get it on Amazon. I got the Kindle version, um, but there's also paperbacks available. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it was great because now I'm just going to have this perspective for the rest of my life on, on on some of the inner workings of the news machine and why I'm seeing what I'm seeing and just to have that bigger picture view because I think it really shapes all of our lives and society a lot and we should have an understanding of it and uh, then make our own decision on how we want to absorb it. So... Appreciate you, John. Thanks for coming in. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Oh, should we give anyone else uh, somewhere else to follow you? Uh, social media. Do you want to call out any of that stuff? Um, no, it's okay. That's it. Uh, Good. Okay. Yeah. Veils of Distortion on Amazon.ca. Right. Cool. Okay. Okay. Thanks, John. Right. A big thank you to John for giving us the insider info on how the news works and how it distorts our perception of reality. I highly recommend you check out his book, Veils of Distortion, How the News Media Warps Our Minds on Amazon.ca. It's available on Kindle and paperback. You'll never look at the news the same. I can promise you that. And if you're looking to understand the bigger picture of the Southern Ontario real estate market beyond the the sensationalized and fear-based news media headlines and learn the info rockstar investors are basing their investment decisions on, putting skin in the game, go to our website rockstarinnercircle.com slash reports there you will find free special research reports for investors that answer questions like what makes house prices go up or down how can Canadian investors find cash flowing properties in today's market does paying for college really make sense why are so many Canadians working harder than ever but struggling to get ahead how should investors protect themselves and their assets these are common questions for for real estate investors and we answer them all in these free special research reports that you can download and read for free on rockstarinnercircle.com slash reports. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we hope to catch you on the next episode.